Before I begin this morning, I will say that last Sunday, Brian and I were at St. Paul's Cathedral, a beautiful place, a beautiful church, a beautiful service, um, music that just overwhelms you when you walk into the building. It's absolutely stunning. But we both left with sort of an air of sadness in this church. Uh, Sunday, if you go to worship, you don't have to pay to get in. Uh, otherwise, you pay to tour the building. Um, and I think there's just such an interesting thing that's happened to church um, in lots of places in Europe. Uh, how sad it is that church really on Sunday is mostly tourists. And how sad that would be for me as a pastor to come to church on a Sunday morning and not recognize the faces in the pews. Uh, it's a lovely thing to have visitors. It's also a lovely thing to have people that you know and people that are a part of a congregation and a part of a church family. As much as we enjoyed that service, it is certainly good to be home. With that said, <laughs> with that said, let us turn to Scripture this morning from Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 to 11. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What is the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks to God. I don't know how many of you pay attention to the fine print on things. Those things that are usually written down at the bottom of the page. Oftentimes, these are things that come after an asterisk. Now, besides asterisk being a funny word and quite a tongue twister... An asterisk means that there's a catch on whatever you're buying or whatever product you're using. We've all seen the commercials, right, where a certain medication promises to make you feel better. You will be healed if you take this. And then, at the end of the commercial, there's a lovely cautionary asterisk with page after page after page of side effects. This promises to make you feel better, but there are side effects, including headaches, fever, drowsiness. Oh, and by the way, if you have to drive a vehicle ever, don't, in case the medicine reacts poorly to your body, so on and so forth. Great. 
So now my ear infection feels much better, but I certainly cannot drive to work today. That's the power of an asterisk. We remember being children at Christmas time. We ask for a new toy like a horse for Barbie that moves all on its own. Mom gets us the toy, or dad or brother. It's Christmas morning, you open your gift, you're so excited to play, and then you realize your parents forgot to read the back of the toy box where there's an asterisk that says, batteries not included. So Christmas morning is no longer filled with laughter and excitement, but instead with grumpy children who have to move the horse manually (laughs) instead of it moving itself. No, I'm certainly not still holding on to that. (laughs) That's the power of an asterisk. In life, there are lots of things that require us to read the fine print. There are lots of things in life that are explained and qualified. Job contracts, read the fine print. You never know when you'll need it, and a need will arise, and you wish you would have read the fine print. Students in college have syllabi full of fine print. Car manuals? Who even reads their own car manuals? All it is is fine print and explanations on how to fix things. Every electronic you buy has a manual with at least a dozen asterisks in it. Well, if this is version F460, then follow these rules for setting it up. But if it's version F380, then follow these rules for setting it up. Ever put a grill together? (laughs) Ever put a grill together? Read the fine print. Read the fine print. Read the fine print. It will save you a lot of headaches and a lot of stress if you read it ahead of time. When I was in high school, there was this little test that was created to see how well students could read directions. It's the first or second day of class in ninth grade, and a teacher hands out a test. What? A test? We haven't even learned anything yet. You look down, there's math, reading comprehension, grammar questions, a full-on test. So students get the test, they write their name at the top, and they begin working through all of the problems, trying to recall everything they've forgotten over at summer break. The teacher gently hints from the classroom, remember to read all of the directions first. Students aren't listening. They start vigorously filling in the test, and then they look around and realize there's a couple of kids who've turned the test in after just a minute or two. Instead of wondering how it is that they turn the test in so quickly, we just keep on taking the exam. Then you get to the end, the very last page. And on that page, there is an asterisk with one important direction. Write your name on the front of the page. Don't fill in any of the test. Don't work any of the problems. Leave the test blank and turn it in. So what do you do? You turn it over and begin erasing everything you wrote, hoping the teacher won't notice. No wonder the teacher says, read all of the directions first. Asterisks, fine print, directions, qualifiers, you find them in every nook and cranny of our lives. And so when the Bible and the story we read this morning of Esau forgiving Jacob 
I think as we read it, we find ourselves skimming the page looking for the asterisk. At least, that's what I did. If you don't recall the story of Jacob and Esau, it goes like this. Esau and Jacob are twins born to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac loves Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. The family tension only grows from there. In a dramatic turn of events, Jacob, the younger of the two brothers, tricks Esau out of Esau's rightful inheritance and blessing. In the Old Testament, the custom is to give the inheritance and blessing to the eldest son. That's Esau. But Jacob wasn't thrilled with this little setup, so he schemes Esau out of his birthright by offering him a cup of stew. Esau, in a moment of hunger and exhaustion, trades it for some soup. As if that isn't bad enough, Jacob isn't happy with just the birthright. He wants Esau's blessing, too. So their dad, Isaac, gets old and blind. And this, Jacob realizes, is his big moment to creep on in and steal that blessing. Being the trickster that he is, Jacob places fur from an animal all over his arms because Esau was hairy. He walks in. Isaac believes that this is his son, Jacob, Esau, but instead he blesses Jacob. As you can imagine, Esau is furious, so angry that he threatens to kill Jacob. And when Jacob gets a threat, he runs. His flight-or-fight moment, and he flees. That gets us to our text for today. In this story, Esau forgives Jacob. No questions asked. After years of not seeing his brother, after having his birthright stolen, after watching Jacob deceive their own father to get the inheritance and blessing, and even take his role as the patriarch of the nation, after Esau threatening to kill Jacob, after all this... Esau meets Jacob with an embrace. Where is the asterisk here? I I want an asterisk. I want a qualifier. I want to look down at the bottom of this page in my Bible and see the fine print that reads, well, Esau forgave Jacob because Jacob repaid all that he owed his brother. Jacob figured out how to give Esau back his blessing, Jacob returned all of Esau's rightful inheritance, or at least an explanation, an explanation at the bottom of the page that says, Jacob isn't just deceiving Esau again. Is Jacob even being sincere in how he approaches his brother? He lines his family up behind him in order from least favorite to favorite. As he approaches Esau, he keeps calling Esau his lord and equating him to himself to Esau's servant, but he never calls him brother. He tells Esau he's seeking his favor, but he never actually apologizes. Where is the fine print in our Bibles that details Jacob's sincere apology to Esau? Where is the asterisk here that reminds us how in chapter 32... Jacob has already been sending gifts to pacify his brother. Gifts to the tune of 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 
40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. That's a lot of gifts. I'm not entirely sure what's going on with this exchange between Jacob and Esau, and I'm frankly not entirely sure that I like it. Because I've been Esau in the story of my personal life. I've struggled to forgive the ones I love, even with 20 years of distance, with extravagant gifts to pacify my anger. I do not want to embrace those that have hurt me. I want an explanation. My guess is that many of you do too. In the end, it is, is it not often forgiveness and our inability to forgive that causes some of our deepest family drama, deepest family hurt, deepest family tension? Isn't that true right here at church, too? When we get hurt, when we hurt others, when forgiveness feels too hard, when it's easier to run and hide, For 20 years, when sending lavish gifts is easier than apologizing, wouldn't we like an asterisk, a qualifier? I'll forgive you if. An explanation? Tell me why you did what you did, and then maybe I'll think about forgiving you. But Esau, this Esau who is so convicting to me, he extends forgiveness to his brother. There's no fine print. There's no qualifier when it comes to Esau forgiving his brother. Esau's forgiveness is offered with no asterisk. I find it interesting that the text doesn't tell us anything about what Esau is feeling. But we can guess. In fact, we don't have to guess. We know. We've been there. He's still angry. Still hurt. On one hand, he's missing his brother, but on the other, he's hoping he never comes back. Maybe he sets out with an army of men intending to kill Jacob. Maybe he sets out intending to celebrate his return. We don't know. All we're told, in some ways, all that matters is that Esau chooses to set everything aside and forgive. No asterisk. And yet... How often do we become so focused on the right asterisk, the right explanation, the right qualifier in just the right place and forget to run and embrace? This kind of embracing forgiveness comes at a cost. A cost at both ends. It cost Jacob some of his livestock. He was ready for it to cost him his family. He was ready for it to cost him his own life. It cost Esau his pride and what he rightfully deserved. It cost him when he had to set it all aside, 20 years of anger and bitterness. It costs to be forgiven. It costs to forgive. I think we forgive in stages. I think you know that you've made it to the final stages of forgiveness when your tears of anger finally can turn to tears of compassion for the person who hurt you. 
There's an ethicist who wrote that you have fully forgiven when you no longer think of the people as the ones who hurt you and now think of them as the ones who need you. They do not need you to take care of them, to fix them, or to solve their problems. What they need is for you to free them. They need you to be the priest who announces God's absolution. That's what Esau did for Jacob. In the end, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. And ironically enough, you then discover that the prisoner all along is you. It costs to forgive. It costs to be forgiven. And that's why it is terribly frustrating that God calls all of us to one table. Us and the people who have wronged us, us and the people we have wronged through all the wrestling we do with God and with others. It's an amazing thing that we get to come to this table at all. This God's table. And because it is God's table, there is only one table that belongs to the God who forgives, forgives with no asterisk attached, but instead with an embrace. Although we may come this morning to this table, searching between the bread and the cup to find a hidden asterisk, we won't find one. Instead, we find that when God says, I forgive you, There's no fine print hiding in the corner. When Jesus says forgive 70 times, seven times, there's no asterisk that allows us to get out of that. When God says, I love you, I love you, there are no qualifiers as to why. So when you come to this table, when you come to this table, remember, though forgiveness comes at a cost, it cannot, it cannot come with an asterisk. Let us pray. Lord, we recognize that you sent your only Son to forgive us all our sins. And yet we turn around and find it one of the hardest things to forgive those who have hurt us. Lord, we even find it hard to receive forgiveness from someone else. We ask that you would humble us as we walk forward this morning. Humble us as we walk towards the table that we might see that all you want to say to us this morning is you love us, you forgive us, and you ask us to do the same. Might we come forward with humble hearts to receive forgiveness and leave this place to give it to others in our lives. We pray all of this in Christ's name.